Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nining of nine, <laughs> nining <laughs> of the Turning Signals podcast. Liam here, joined by Zoe. Here. What's happening, Zoe? Well, as we sit here, cancer's rising in a good way. Um, Kataka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how Mystic Medusa rolls, isn't it? Does she still? I don't think so. Kataka. I think she calls it cancer now. Um, yeah, Ceres, dwarf planet Ceres, nearly in cancer as of Sunday with Black Moon Lilith. Mm. So I'm sure we'll have some dark feminine perspectives to bring. <laughs> oh, is <laughs> that what's so going grounded. on? <laughs> Maybe. I do feel dark feminine. Do you? A well, bit. it's probably the lasting effect of the Scorpio full moon eclipse, which is all about dark feminine. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. When was that? <laughs> <laughs> That was on um <laughs> last night yesterday uh so yeah, yesterday lunchtime, time is a weird vortex, isn't it? Mm. It's like when was it? yeah, no, it was yesterday lunchtime in australian western western standard time, mm. um visible in the you know northern hemisphere for a lot of people in the u s I think they had good views mm. um yeah, some friends. Or acquaintances that I follow on Instagram, an Irish couple who are traveling up the East Coast at the moment posted some photos from the beach on Queensland. Oh, wow. Of the full moon rising. Wow. That was, yeah, it was amazing, actually. Beautiful. Really something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, there's plenty going on, I think, in terms of the world and probably each person. Um, as tends to happen with eclipse seasons, I think in the collective, it um, sort of seems to fit really well with the global pandemic treaty. But do we want to go there yet or do we want to talk about well, anything else first? I, I was um, just on the back of our election special. Yeah. Th- there was a couple of things I actually forgot to mention there, which I might and then... Also, the pandemic treaty mm. is like, you know, it was really kind of at the core of, I think, our discussion really or yeah. should have been. I wouldn't mind having a little bit more discussion around that now um, yeah. because it has all of a sudden entered into, you know, it's become a hot topic, mm. which is, I mean, so it should be. Yes. Um, it, it looks set to, you know, in the way that our elected governments do, they tend to shield public from things that would not necessarily be in their interest Mm. so it's not really you're not seeing it on channel 7 or cnn but certainly fox Mm. have brought it up and of course our our boys neil oliver russell brand Mm. have now brought it up so um yeah just uh getting back to our our election special which um i'm not sure that our australian audience has really taken that one but Mm. some really great feedback coming in from the states oh cool as i posted (laughs) ben shapiro caitlin jenner (laughs) uh, donald trump jr reached out (laughs) sending his best wishes for the election 
Yeah, we're in it. I think it's probably of interest to people stateside because, you know, the election, because they were kind of concerned at looking at the kind of tactics taken by particularly the Victorian state government. Mm. You know, that that didn't look good. And Mm. Melbourne suffered the longest lockdown in the world. Mm. Um, But also the militarization of police. Yes. Um, A friend of mine was attended one of those protests at the Anzac Memorial. Mm. Um, Was that when they were being shot at? Yeah, it was that one. So he told me that the protest had kind of finished and the police were essentially like encouraging people to leave, you know, like, okay, leave now. Move on. And then the the like riot squad or whatever they were called, like moved out mm. from, they were kind of hiding in the side streets and moved out into that arena and started firing. Mm. Um, yeah. And my, my friend, like he was, really scared he said that the tone was people were scared Mm. and that he witnessed the kind of firing of those machine guns and he he said that they're not they're not altered weapons they're like proper weapons they're just loaded with rubber bullets yeah and the the rubber bullets are big Mm. like they were painful yeah you could break bones with them Mm. easily so anyway if you haven't listened to the election special yet, I would encourage you to do so just to get a little bit of, or I mean, at least have a look at a bit of information on the this pandemic treaty that the World Health Organization are um, presenting to the world. Yes, and that that is, even though it remains largely unspoken, it's probably the issue in a lot of ways for this election. And if we have status quo there's no chance that we'll avoid ratification of that not that we probably will in any case because it seems like (laughs) a sure thing yeah (laughs) as you were saying with the and you know they'll the world health organization will push it again later Mm. if it doesn't get passed this year of course so yeah we, we need to remain vigilant but you know best chance is that we have you know, this outcome of a hung parliament mm. with a minor party holding the balance of power mm. or with minor parties holding the balance of power who will absolutely vote it down. Yeah. So, And lots of discourse and um, chaos would be good so that all of these things can't be ignored anymore mm. by the media um, so much. Mainstream media, I should say. I do remember that, I mean, lest we forget with what, happened in melbourne hey Mm. because um i remember watching footage i think it was rebel news Mm -hmm. um when they were just walking through the park leaving the protests and then yeah the riot squad turned up and they were walking away from the riot squad leaving you know (laughs) the streets of melbourne where the protests had taken place and they were being shot at as they left. Mm. And there was, you know, live footage of that actually happening. They were running through the park. So it's pretty, pretty terrifying. It was something, you know, it yeah. sets a, a precedent. Um, yes, it does. For like what's kind of reasonable, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. We, yeah. I mean, it's totally unreasonable. But of that course it, it, it is. But people kind of see that and then it's kind of like, well... 
it won't be that bad again. Or, you know, it just does this thing of like compliance, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, as well as demonising protesters um, as though somehow because we were protesting, I wasn't in Melbourne, but we were protesting here. And for that act alone, we get what we get, you know, like if you do that, then prepare to be shot at. And that's like the norm now. Mm. Not a good, not a good precedent at all. I've got um, a couple of audio clips that I just wanted to play, um, that I, I meant to play in the election special, but sure. got carried away. The first one is, um, it's Anthony Albanese. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not, it's, I think it's from 2010. Okay. But just to, it's, so he was, it was when he... Before his time as leader. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure what position he was in, but he was... It was when it was leading up to the um, the end of that kind of Kevin O seven era, yep. and when Tony Abbott was running for prime minister, mm-hmm. so two thousand eleven, I guess. But so it's Anthony Albanese, and then it's played side by side with, or kind of back to back with, audio from a film, um, The American President, starring Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that just serves as like a reminder of, um, I don't know, these people have speech writers and when they're caught off guard with questions about stats and stuff. They'll just defer to a script. I think the... Hollywood script. Yeah. (laughs) Not even an original script. Well, here's here's, um, Scott Morrison speaking, um, you know, at any given time. Baseball. But tonight I say we must move forward, not backward, upward, not forward, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. That might have been Adam Band, actually. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what I think of those guys. <laughs> yes, well, not without good reason. Seems to be a lot of momentum to vote for the minor parties. Yes, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Social media and places like that, there seems plenty of discontent brewing and hopefully being translated into votes that give us something different. I'm kind of glad that we've got this, um, you know, so the election's this weekend. It's like in Mm. a few days. So we've got a very good opportunity to kind of look through the lens now. So long as I'm not sure what the kind of instance of voter fraud is in Australia. Mm. Um, Some candidates I've seen, uh, some commentators are um, suggesting that you take a pen to Mm. fill out the form Mm. so that um, I voted yesterday and just using the pencil, Mm. but kind of made it like I pressed hard. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, at least, at, at least 
we're going to get a good indication of like the kind of temperature of of like the Australian public at the moment. Mm. Um, the polls are, you know, in the two-party preferred poll. Mm. It's, I think as today, the Sydney Morning Herald said 54 Labor. Right. So, you know, that's that's quite a convincing thing. But, of course, they, you know, Murdoch loves his polls. He, mm. he certainly feels that he can persuade people with polls. Mm. So, I guess it's still anyone's game. Yeah, neck and neck. But let's hope that their lack of um, interest paid to minor parties and independents will come back to bite them. Mm. It'll be interesting. Cool. So, what, what's well, next on the agenda? Um <laughs> On our agenda, yes. 2030. Um, yeah, well, I, can I just make a, a mention of I made a mistake a couple of episodes ago talking about, um, I, th- I think I said George Orwell's brother was involved with the in the early days of UNESCO, mm-hmm. but it was actually Aldous Huxley's brother. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to apologise if anyone went on a wild goose chase looking into that. But... Um, Aldous Huxley did give a brilliant interview in the early 60s, I think, which is available on YouTube. And he basically prophesizes this time in a, in an amazing way, actually. So that's worth a listen if anyone's keen. And that's, um, yeah, on YouTube, as I said. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, was, I thought we could unpack a little bit of the Scorpio full moon eclipse to some extent because we didn't really do an episode leading into it because we were focused on the election. Good Um, idea. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of it to me seems to be represented by this global pandemic treaty, World Health Organization's global pandemic treaty. And um, from the 22nd of May, the World Health Assembly's so-called intergovernmental negotiating body, the INB, will be voting on amendments to international health regulations. So it's not a secret exactly, Mm. like that information is available, but it's certainly concealed or like shrouded in mystery, which is very much Scorpio Eclipse style. Okay. Um, I suppose it also, it uses like very boring and bureaucratic language so that people go, oh, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the method, I think. Yeah. You're like going to sleep by halfway through intergovernmental negotiations. <laughs> it's so bad. Mm. Smoke and mirrors and, yeah, bureaucratic mind-numbing boredom mm. will work every time. Um, yeah, so I just, I think, like, it's hard in another way. Like, they use a lot of, like, warm, fuzzy very cosy kind of language, hey, around like when you go to the um, UN website and the sustainable development goals that the WEF are being led in with their Agenda 2030 and their vision for that. Like in that sense, it's hard to fault that kind of language that those organisations and individuals use. And it's like seductive kind of language, which is also a scorpionic kind of a thing that's what we all need to learn to kind of see through yes the same as critical thinking needs to play a role for sure yeah well uh, 
I was thinking about, you know, something that you've been through recently, which without saying too much, but someone close to you is engaged in like legal proceedings over mm. like vaccine workplace thing. Yeah. And, you know, this person who's kind of presiding over this case mentioned that, you know, it's going before the Fair Work Commission. Fair does not mean fair by definition as like we know it. Yes. Fair is um, fluid. Mm. Fair is reasonable and fair is decided at any given time arbitrarily by by her <laughs> by her by the person who runs the fair work commission it's yes. the same as like i was thinking about like bill gates and healthcare mm. you know healthcare is a term that we go oh health care we love those things <laughs> you know like healthcare but it's like healthcare with a capital h yeah it's actually like this An it doesn't industry. mean healthcare doesn't mean care for your health. It That's means right. controlling your health. Yes. Well, yeah. Health in like quotes, hey. Um, that really reminds me to talk about Jupiter in Aries, which um, Jupiter went into Aries on the 10th of May and remains there until the end of October before a retrograde back to Pisces and um, around the southern summer solstice. Um will enter Aries again until mid-May. So, um, yeah, it's a very potent point. Zero degrees Aries is the first degree of the zodiac and Jupiter is the great benefic, you know, the um, very sort of traditionally looked upon as being like a very fortunate, like bestower of good fortune and faith and optimism, but also represents... Um, systems that allow for a cohesive society and mm. laws in a in a in a way um, as a complementary sort of energy to Saturn's like crime and punishment. Mm. You're looking at like Jupiter's ability to have ethical ideals and to raise them up as like a guiding principle that underlies civilization mm-hmm. as we'd like to know it, <laughs> um, and so. It really struck me that in coming into contact with this supposed justice or, you know, like an extension of the justice system in the Fair Work Commission, it was quite disheartening to realise that you're actually just dealing with a system that's actually failing and broken and um, despite it having... You know, originally, I'm sure, good intentions. And um, I mean, when I think about Athena, you know, like she invented the justice system as we still know it as as a concept and as an ideal. She was the goddess, the entity who came up with the idea that a group can make a just determination about a set of circumstances by hearing the different perspectives on it. Mm. And what a beautiful concept that is, that someone who is wise and measured and insightful can sit and hear, you know, the versions of events around a set of circumstances and then make a decision. Um, But unfortunately, it (laughs) seems to have... And, you know, you hear that often when people are dealing with lawyers and courts and that there's no justice that, you know, there's no justice within the court system. and People do report that as their experience so in dealing with like the justice the norm, system. So it's like the norm, hey, yeah. which is just so sad. 
so yeah, I guess the Jupiter's ingress into Aries um, was personally significant for me and made me really think about um, Jupiter in terms of like ethics and justice and mm. those like cohesive kinds of functions that Jupiter has and then how the world as we know it and you know like because Aries is ruled by Mars Mars is now coming into alignment with Neptune in Pisces so we see that disillusionment again you know that like and the subversion of you know and the conflict of like reality and ideals (laughs) and how Mm. they don't really fit together at the moment and of course you know that can be incredibly empowering and we have sort of learned a lot over the last few days reflecting on you know the news that we were given by the Fair Work Commission yeah it's good to consider all the beliefs that we've held on to all the conditioning and indoctrination you know to which we've been subjected in our lives in our lives like yeah to really consider these systems and how they're actually functioning and that there is um bureaucratic bodies that exist to support you and i mean as a belief that you think that you know particularly australians because we have had i guess like a a bureaucratic governance here for as long as we've been alive and you kind of just conditioned to understand that or conditioned to believe that those there that's in your best interest yeah those bodies exist to help and support Mm. you and to save you the trouble and You kind of hand over um, authority, don't you? Yeah, and And yeah, you put your faith in them, you hand over your authority. And so then you kind of, you're taking less responsibility for yourself. Yes. You're like, I don't need to worry about that because Fair Work Commission are there to support me. Well, it's interesting to think about it in those more specific terms because it's like you kind of expect that justice will be done and that unfair dismissal might actually mean unfair dismissal <laughs> yeah by <laughs> by definition there's yeah, yeah. there's a definition <laughs> of unfair yes and um that that might have some bearing on the outcome of the case but actually that is not the case um so yeah it's just really enlightening to come to grips with that and um to therefore i mean part of the realization that i've had around that is I'm reversing more and more out of society. Like mm. I, I have less and less interest in compliance and um, engagement with systems that are just not there to do anything except pursue this agenda on behalf of elites, basically. Yeah. That's, that seems to be increasingly undeniable for me. That, And I try to be critical of my own position. I try to read quite broadly you know, we've been laughing about our echo chamber. But, um, yeah, I do try to, you know, mitigate that to some extent by looking around at different points of view. But it just seems increasingly undeniable and, yeah. It's kind of evident that yeah, there's a group of people who profit off of the masses' participation in society. Yes. And it's generally not the masses'. That's right. And even Yuval Harari has actually said that we need to trust 
the systems being put in place and comply with them, you know, and then everything's okay. So, and you can see that in the world already, that if you comply with what's being, you know, increasingly the tightening of screws and the, you know, um, more and more kind of restricting restrictions being imposed on our free movements and whatever, it's really like evident that this is where we're headed and um, I'd, I want really no part in it. <laughs> I'm just going to play this while we're here. Just as a for instance, a government desiring such control might try frightening the living daylights out of its people, telling them that if they don't take their medicine, Big Pharma knows in advance might kill or maim some of them that they won't be able to travel, leave the country, go to work or the pub or the cinema or to school. A government or indeed any unelected body seeking total control might tell its people that unless they do what they're told, they won't ever be getting back to anything even resembling their old normal lives. That's not how you protect people from a pandemic. That's how you exploit and manipulate the very notion of a pandemic in order to seize and retain control. And then, while they're either still terrified or just plain exhausted and demoralised by the whole damned experience, why not slip through all manner of new legislation shaped to mop up the dregs of whatever old-fashioned freedoms and rights remain behind? I am, even by my own estimate, the unlikeliest of rebels. All I know is that I have, for a period now, measurable in years, been opposed to those in power here, and also all but a handful of those vying to replace them. For the longest time, I've cared not a jot what those jokers try and tell me to do. The evidence coming out now about lockdown harms, about vaccine harms, tells me I was right to follow my own path. In short, I've had enough of the lot of them. They don't speak for me or in any way matter to me. If this pandemic treaty comes to pass, I will disregard it. I'll ignore any future lockdown ordained by any power. I'll take no mandated vaccine, not while I have breath in my body. The WHO and all its little wizards can take a running jump. The men in suits can sign whatever treaties they want. I don't care. Not one of them, not Johnson, not Trudeau, not Macron and the rest, has the stomach for the wet work that would be required to put their authoritarian plans into action. We owe it to ourselves. Perhaps we even owe it to them to tell them that they're living in a fantasy world of their own creation and that we want none of it. Let them have the gall to seek to sign away our freedoms in such a high-handed manner this month or in 2024. I, for one, am not playing along. As Patrick McGowan's character said in The Prisoner, I'm not a number. I'm a free man. I just can't help but think how this, what we're talking about with the global pandemic treaty, it's bureaucracy, right? Yes. It's like a removal of our sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And if you look at you know, the origins of bureaucracy... Have they not done that all along? Have yes. we not handed over our participation, awareness, responsibility and participation mm. in believing in, you know, the Fair Work Commission, for example? Yes, just as an yeah, illustration of the point. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, that was Neil Oliver talking and it's so sad and wonderful at the same time. Um and I think that's the danger of the situation is that the bureaucratic distance that they have. So he's right. Those people would never be able to inflict harm on another person if they were there in the room with them. They'd be cowardly and pathetic, you know, given if they were faced with the reality of 
the conflict that people are, you know, and the resistance that people rightly feel in this situation. But because they have that bureaucratic distance, they will inflict, in, you know, immeasurable harm mm. upon innumerable people over this, like, power grab kind of thing, which is very much the Scorpio energy too. And especially thinking about Scorpio traditionally ruled by Mars, now in Pisces, with Neptune, it's like all is not what it seems. And and as he says, you know, to bring their – it's kind of our duty to try to wake them up because they're like hypnotised yeah. by this ridiculous – and that is a thing of like the unconscious – um, scorpionic kind of pull towards power that is greater than us. Mm-hmm. So Scorpio wants to merge with – it's sort of the energy of power versus powerlessness. Um, in some estimations, Jeffrey Wolf Green's um, interpretation of evolutionary astrology talks about that dynamic between power versus powerlessness and this compelling urge – um, through Scorpio to go into something that is all powerful, you know, and therefore ha- wields control over over others, essentially, is um, dangerous, especially for its unconsciousness. Like these people wouldn't be aware that that's what's happening to them, that they're getting pulled into this very seductive kind of hypnotic thing of controlling the world, but that's exactly what's happening and – Yeah, I mean, I can talk more about using, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg's chart as an example. His is quite compelling, as is Bill Gates. You know, they've both got big Scorpio stuff going on and do they ever? (laughs) But yeah. I just thought then of that Martin Luther King quote, which I can't recall word for word, but it's like one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, you know, it gets at what Neil Oliver was saying there. Absolutely. Like we are, you know, those those people are citizens as well. That's right. In the interest of like maintaining anything that's not totalitarianism, we, you know, we, we have to fight actually. And it's on behalf of everybody. It's not just for, you know, you as an individual, although yes. of course it is yes. for you, but it's not just that. It's like... For the good of all, for good, you know, for for the opportunity for goodness to prevail. Yes, and some sense of like morality and conscience, and um, yeah, I think that's a really dangerous part of the thing too. Is the lack of um, like God contact, our dad would call it, but mm. um, the godlessness in it, the lack of moral compass, the lack of integrity, the lack of conscience. It's just this like blind pursuit of power, control and money. Um, it, yeah, it's very disheartening. And it's also completely human, I want to say too. Like mm-hmm. it's part of the human shadow. And there's that really good quote, um, Lord Acton, who says, um, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. Which is undeniably what we see in the world and you know I would challenge anyone who would suggest that under the same circumstances as people like Bill Gates like Mark Zuckerberg if you were if you were in a position of power like they are um, if you if everyone was giving you their authority 
um, to run riot with. Could you do better? Because, I mean, it, our ability to do better than they're doing relies on our on the work that we've done, on our own moral compass, on our willingness to have integrity and to take, to wear the flack for, you know, for doing that. And it's very much, you know, we've mentioned before the Emperor's New Clothes situation of the whole thing. It's like, it's hard to call it out. Mm. It's hard to be one of the, you know, unclean, unvaccinated, whatever, especially if you've never really done that before and you're just sort of becoming aware of what you're seeing in the world and as it and the you know consequences of it the potential of where it could go it's very it's like compelling to do the right thing but at the same time it demands so much of you to do it and I think a lot of people as we can see aren't really up for that Mm. But I think that's the really silver lining about um, their tactics being so hard line that it it wakes more and more people up. It makes it more and more undeniable what we're dealing with and gives us less and less of a choice about Mm. waking up and actually taking some action rather than just being compliant and trusting (laughs) the powers that be. I'm just reminded, you know, just to quote myself, (laughs) not exactly but you know that it's an idea we talked about early on of like outsourcing Mm. you all the outsourcing that we do um which is interesting because that seems to be like a real favored mechanism of like capitalism right and certainly neoliberalism that if something doesn't appear to be profitable like you just outsource it to the next so yeah hey um i had a question Mm. I I witness a lot of Scorpio bashing. Oh yeah. And like so far we've heard quite a lot of these negative traits and sure. Scorpio. What are what are the redeeming Great traits question. Of- I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. Um it's so I'm talking about the the potentially more negative end of the spectrum of Scorpio qualities um, because it was a south node eclipse and so we always have to look at the shadow shadowy elements um, in that kind of context. Okay. Um, so that's why I was sort of being a bit negative about Scorpio. Um, but ab- actually Scorpio, you know, in terms of getting into contact with our own power, Scorpio is very empowering and it just demands, as I was sort of saying, like that we take responsibility for our power. So you've got to wield it well when you've found your power. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I left unsaid is possibly that Bill Gates and people like that um, maybe think they are wielding their power responsibly. But I guess that's because, you know, like they're trying to do the right thing for the planet or whatever in their own echo chambers where no one ever tells them any different um but really they lack the god contact again and that um deep sense of conscience and morality to really guide them through you know the tests of being someone who wields so much power in the world but in a very subjective and personal sense um we can really come into contact with our own Scorpio-ness. It's very deep, dark, 
complex. It is the feminine by or yin by nature. So it's inwardly oriented. And the more that we can sort of nurture our emotional and inner world and use it as a guide through our lives, the more powerful we can become. And I mean powerful in a healthy sense because as we learn about who we are as a being more and more deeply, more with more and more nuance and you know complexity to it and more and more depth, we feel much more in our own power, in our own authority and we can make decisions and act in the world from that place. Mm. Does that make sense? I, I mean... That's my experience of it. I guess it's like we're forming a relationship to a part of ourselves that is like powerful. Yes. Influential. Yes. In how we behave. Yes. And And towards others as well. Like you you do have power over other people. And it's kind of mysterious, right? Like we don't know this part of ourselves. So in getting to know, recognizing, (laughs) making peace as best we can with our... Because it's probably quite uncomfortable for a lot of people. Of like the, course. Yeah. yeah no, and it's hard work and that's why so many people don't do it. And mm. then we are at the mercy of it. So um, Just to note and, and question for, you know, I'm a beginner and for our beginners out there, like everyone has a Scorpio placement, right? Yes. Like everyone has yes. all of them. Yes, yeah. that's right. So um, even if you have no planets there, you still have that part of your nature that is scorpionic and it will be expressed in you and through you and within your life in different and various ways depending upon where it exists within your chart and therefore psyche and therefore life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is quite, I mean, Scorpio, among other things, represents taboos and it is quite taboo that... Mm-hmm. You know, Scorpio by nature, it's like it's the stuff you don't really want to talk about, look at, deal with. You just kind of shut the door, skeletons in the closet kind of thing. Um, And a lot of Scorpio people that you meet don't know what to do with that, you know, because it's not part of our culture. It's Mm. taboo. It's like we just don't go there. But when we do go there, it's definitely courage is required. Traditionally a Mars ruled sign. We need courage to deal with Scorpio and we need to be able to contain our own power and take responsibility for it because it can become very manipulative. You know, like you you hear that about Scorpio, you know, Scorpio bashing can be directed at that manipulative tendency that can appear. But it appears more, I think, from an unconscious place Mm -hmm. and the more conscious we are of the power that we do wield um, whether or not we like want to acknowledge it it exists for each and every one of us and the more that we come to terms with it the less manipulative we are unconsciously because you know we we know that we can influence people by our thoughts words and deeds and so we got to use our powers for good it's what I always tell my kids. It's like Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> you got to use your powers for good. <laughs> I do want to say as well um, about the demonization of the South Node. It's The South Node, as I've said before, is not wholly negative, but we also can't elevate the North Node to something that's totally positive. 
we can't be naive about either of the nodes because they're by their nature um, very tricky to deal with and I guess that's part of why at eclipse season times we see lots of unconscious aberrant kind of um, volatile things go on in the world because yeah it's just it's that real volatile kind of unpindownable because it's not conscious because it's like new and old energies karma dharma all mixing together in a way that you know among almost eight billion of us um yeah so just wanted to can you explain the nodes a little bit uh so they represent they're not actually um anything physical uh they are the point at which I want to explain this as clearly as I possibly can. So it's the intersection point between the sun's ecliptic, which is the apparent path of the sun through the sky. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the sun isn't traveling through the sky, but from our point of view on Earth, it is. Um, and obviously, that changes with the seasons, dependent on the Earth's position. Um, but at any given point, there is that ecliptic line which is static, and then there is the movement of the moon's trajectory and the intersection point of those two bodies is represented by the lunar nodes. So you've got the – and, yeah, so they are dynamic, um, always so that one is opposite to the other. The north node is also known as the true node – also known as Rahu or the dragon's head in Vedic astrology. So it's um, that evolution forward motion is the north node. But I think in Vedic astrology, they're very wary of the north node for its volatility and, you know, troublesome kind of nature. And then the south node obviously is corresponding opposite to that and bringing... Um, dragging the past behind it, <laughs> kind of the long black bag that um, uh, Robert Bly referred to, um, kind of everything to do with shadows and karma, and but also gifts and natural tendencies too. And what about like North and South Node in like the personal chart? Yeah, so it's it's all of the above and. Um, I always try and give a measured response in that sense because people are really interested in the nodes and understandably because they're often described as being like points of fate and destiny and that Mm. is true to some extent. But, yeah, we need to handle with care and be somewhat cautious in our approach. Um, Going gung-ho after the north node can end pretty, like, messy. (laughs) But that's not to say that a lot of good can't come out of it. Um, the pursuit of the north node because it is a point to sort of consciously pursue Mm. Um, so at the you know for the collective at the moment with the north node in Taurus it is good to maintain awareness around all good things Taurus you know being grounded embodiment Mm -hmm. simplicity peace all those kinds of things nourishment sensuality you know pleasure all these like really healthy kinds of Taurus themes Mm -hmm. um and then as well being aware of 
the shadow of Taurus, which is like um, an immovable object. Yes, um, but then is that necessarily uh, that is not always necessarily a negative thing because so there are I, times when it is really helpful to be an immovable object, mm. isn't it? Like perhaps now. <laughs> yeah. So what are some? Yeah, no, they are certainly shadow. I didn't mean to say that you were wrong. They are shadow um, qualities. Certainly can be because that can completely stymie a life if you live in that place, always on the couch and never willing to look at any other and simplifying things into nothingness you know like where and that's why we balance through the opposite of Scorpio Mm -hmm. and it's always necessary to think about pairs of signs rather than just thinking and that's why I don't ever want to leave the south node on its own or the north node on its own because or any sign really on its own because you want that balanced dynamic to always play in to your thinking about, you know, the expression of different signs and planetary energies and archetypes. And so, yeah, we need the complexity of Scorpio to uh, compensate for the simplicity of Taurus. So Scorpio is always opposite Taurus. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the two are a pair. Right. Inextricably linked. Same ruler? No. Okay. So Venus is the ruler of Taurus. And it's always good to be aware of the um, planetary rulers of the nodes and what's going on with them. So, for example, at the the recent full moon eclipse, Mars in Pisces conjunct Neptune, as I said, um, which, you know, is positively lending courage and verve to visions glimpsed, you know, seeds sown in recent months with the all the action through Pisces with the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction and Venus being involved there and beautiful in the sky. Um, Otherwise, it can just manifest as like crazy martyrdom or crazy zealotry, for Mm. example. And when you put that in the context of the Scorpio eclipse, it's like you can see both those things (laughs) in the world and maybe in your own life too. Um, Whereas Venus, as the ruler of the Taurus sun and north node, Um, is now in Aries and conjunct Chiron. So that can be courageous and vivacious and um, tending to wounds in a way that is accepting of the inherent limitations um, of being human, which is like poignant and, you know, can in coming to terms with those limitations, we can find like a really meaningful and powerful focus as a result of that kind of soul searching. Mm. Um, and from my point of view, I always think like the wound actually contains the gift. It's not mm. only that it like hides the gift or like, but I actually think it bestows the gift. Um, we don't get the gift unless we're wounded. So, and that is, you know, a very human experience to come to terms with. Like Leonard Cohen wrote about it as, or sung about it as, the cracks where the light gets in kind of thing and mm. you know plenty of people have dealt with it in poetry and philosophy and all of that but um the obstacle is the way exactly <laughs> very good very well said so but then um we can also again just get lo- lost in like victimhood and self-pity with venus conjunct chiron in aries um and we can even like reverse that experience of being the victim to become like predatorial kinds of behaviors as well which you can see as well in the world now it's like 
um, pretty kind of intense, certainly a very intense eclipse, I'd say, and one that, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we look back on this, we look back at the global pandemic treaty at, and the timing of, you know, this kind of um, amendment to it and the new international health regulations that they're bringing in, putting on paper now and, you know, it's all getting all their ducks in a row for the ratification proper in 2024. Mm. It's like this is a really important turning point at this time and it, it, you can see that with the under the light of the eclipse. Um, did I answer your question among all that? I'm not sure. Me neither. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you mind if I just ask, we went to a, a kind of family reunion mm. thing like last weekend and after about six or seven beers or so, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to explain to a, a distant um, but fond um, relative the kind of use of astrology. Yeah, right. Um, which was kind of met with, you know, scepticism and, yes, you know, words, direct is. quote, um, well, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> um but uh, and here's my six or seven beers, you know, trying to explain the the use of astrology. Yeah. Um, and you know, I probably used ten thousand words to basically <laughs> just give the example of that a use of astrology, for example, mm. is you know knowing that we all, for one thing, are going to experience a Saturn return. Yeah. And in knowing that, we can be prepared for it mm. and we can use it to the best of our advantage. Mm. And I suppose like you can extrapolate that across all of the transits that we will sure. experience. Yes. Like this is going on in my life and it's really positive or it's really negative. Mm. I mean, it's both. Mm. But that it feels this way mm. and what is going on. So I suppose at a personal level, that's kind of how I would explain the use of astrology. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think, yeah, I mean, I've had many conversations, um, obviously, with people who are critical of astrology, dismissive mostly. And in some ways, it's very understandable. You know, it's, it's I've been um, studying, learning, practicing, engaging with astrology for or since like the mid 90s um, and it's taken until probably the last maybe five to ten years to stop that like and and that voice is still actually there I was going to say to stop that voice of doubt I do like to maintain a sense a reasonable like voice of doubt and questioning in my own mind around it because it's like how could it work how could it possibly work I don't know but it <laughs> it's it never ceases to amaze me how if I follow the chart I am led to where the insights and revelations are mm. and I think yeah forewarned is forearmed in terms of transits and practical application it you know in the example you gave with the Saturn return if you know that the Saturn return is coming and then you start to experience Saturnian kinds of external imposition of authority and all of that kind of stuff that goes with the Saturn return 
you're meeting with, you know, cops and bosses and parents and whoever else up in your grill about satin type issues, it is, you know, an opportunity to come into your own authority, to be that figure for yourself. Mm. And so, yeah, as someone who has strong satin in your own chart and therefore psyche and life, it's like, you know, about that. Hey, we've all got to deal with Saturn. Yeah. We've all got to face that third dimensional reality, um, you know, the hard, the cold, hard light of day kind of thing. Like, And as you and I have discussed previously, you know, kind of not with record going, but, you know, that Saturn is like all things, but Saturn is like an opportunity for, you know, that it's like, it's not the burden of personal responsibility. It's the opportunity for it. Absolutely. You know, to, to grow and develop, be a powerful, independent person. Mm. I mean, that you know, reminds me again of what we've just been talking about with, yeah. you know, outsourcing or trusting yeah. external forces with our faith mm. so far as, Fair Work Commission, etc. Yeah. Yep. Governments. It's all connected, this stuff. It is This life stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thunk? Yeah, and I mean, can I, you know, the reunion we attended was um, a funeral wake of sorts, Mm. you know, in regards to the taboo nature of death. Um, I had a little excerpt here. Can I share it? Please. Can I read it? I know we're running out of time, really, but oh, um, we we got all day. We just keep talking and put it in Patreon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this it comes from Carlos Castaneda's 1971 book, A Separate Reality, and it I think it resonates really beautifully with this time, you know, as I'm sure it did when it was written and published. So Chiron was in Aries, as it is now, when this book was published. It had not yet been discovered as a, as a body. And I also think that Carlos Castaneda was born under Chiron in Aries too. So he really gives voice to the phenomenon of the shamanic warrior walking the path with heart, which also feels lovely and important in terms of tapping into Venus conjunct Chiron now, the Taurus North Node and Mars conjunct Neptune along with the full moon eclipse which was Taurus Scorpio. Once you decided to come to Mexico, you should have put all your petty fears away, said Yaki Brojo medicine man Don Juan very sternly. Your decision to come should have vanquished them. You came because you wanted to come. That's the warrior's way. I have told you time and time again, the most effective way is to live as a warrior. Worry and think before you make any decision, but once you make it, be on your way, free from worries or thoughts. There will be a million other decisions still waiting you. That's the warrior's way. I believe that, Don Juan, at least some of the time. It's very hard to keep on reminding myself, though. A warrior thinks of death when things become unclear. That's even harder, Don Juan. For most people, death is very vague and remote. We never think of it. Why not? Why should we? Very simple, he said. 
because the idea of death is the only thing that tempers our spirit. By the time we left Los Vidrios, it was so dark that the jagged silhouette of the mountains had merged into the darkness of the sky. We drove in silence for more than an hour. I felt tired. There were headlights of a car on a hilltop in the distance behind us. They remained visible for a while, when they disappeared into the darkness as if they had been scooped away. After a moment, they appeared on another hilltop, and then they disappeared again. I followed their appearances and disappearances for a long time in the rearview mirror. At one point, it occurred to me that the car was gaining on us. It was definitely closing in. The lights were bigger and brighter. I deliberately stepped on the gas pedal. I had a sensation of uneasiness. Don Juan seemed to notice my concern, or perhaps he was only noticing that I was speeding up. He looked at me at first. Then he turned around and looked at the distant headlights. Those are the lights on the head of death, he said softly. Death puts them on like a hat and then shoots off at a gallop. Those are the lights of death on the gallop gaining on us, getting closer and closer. A chill ran up my back. After a while, I looked in the rearview mirror again, but the lights were not there anymore. I told Don Juan that the car must have stopped or turned off the road. He did not look back. He just stretched his arms and yawned. No, he said. Death never stops. Sometimes it turns off its lights. That's all. Hmm. It's awesome. I love that passage so much. (laughs) And I've been quoting and re-quoting it in like blog posts for years. (laughs) (laughs) But I just feel like it's like I get chills when I read it. I just feel like it's so pertinent. It's such beautiful wisdom. Yeah for all of the above reasons that I mentioned before. But I think death is such an important reminder and to be reminded of our mortality really can help us to gain clarity and perspective about what really matters in our life and remembering that we actually don't have forever and we don't have forever together. And, you know, people do die and are lost to us and it's good to remember that, like to remain mindful of that, which, you know, ties into the Taurus Scorpio axis again because like Freud he he was into life and death drives yeah um, Thanatos versus Eros the Greek gods of death and love or life respectively and they correlate approximately to Taurus Scorpio so it's interesting to note that he was born with Taurus sun setting in his chart and Scorpio rising as that paradox So, you know, for him, the life instinct relates to the energy known as libido and, you know, with Taurus to survival and therefore procreation, you know, the persistence of the species, no less, you know. Um, And his apparent obsession with sexuality that he's often criticised for could be understood as his Taurian nature, like simplifying things. Um, And his Gemini moon produced like, not only the talking cure, but also this propensity towards dual thinking and playing devil's advocate. And Scorpio rising is like intense and sometimes obsessive. So he was the man for the job in terms of bringing forth what he did. And he did a, you know, a very, did a service to humanity in what he did, even though, you know, many dislike him. And um, It's interesting in my course, they very much rely on Freud as a... Mm 
as the kind of basis for well, particularly is, with regard to psychotherapy they yeah. still i think it fell out of favor for a while sure but it's back baby yeah good i mean he invented the talking cure yeah yeah he's basically the father of psychotherapy i've been thinking about um franz kafka mm-hmm. which i'm glad that I, I just this morning i've been looking at kafka a bit um before we started recording and i'm kind of glad I went there because Kafka part of his legacy was his critique of bureaucracy where that would lead one of his short stories the execution mm-hmm. amazing like you know I think he was 21 or something when he wrote it and it's the most like awesome kind of analysis and critique of bureaucracy wow. and maybe you could extrapolate it towards like totalitarianism, yeah. um, you know, I'm thinking along Hannah Arendt mm. kind of lines. Yep. But Kafka had a couple of quotes. I mean, he had a death obsession for sure. Yeah. I'd love to see his chart. Yeah. I'd say he was a Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure it's probably, yeah, well, go on. He's quoted as saying, the meaning of life is that it stops. Yeah, brilliant. And another one, quite dark, um, first sign of the beginning of understanding is the wish to die. Yeah, well, I think that's what's so important about that thing that Freud brought too, was that Thanatos, the death drive, it does exist. I mean, it, it is it actually gets dismissed by a lot of modern day psychologists, which is like crazy because I think if you actually honestly reflect upon it, it can be thought of even in terms of like self-destructive tendencies. Mm-hmm versus self-preservation and both of those things exist in in a person Mm. i would say in every person yep um and you know coming to terms with that and like considering what both of those conditions contribute to the human condition is so rich like one without the other is meaningless that's Mm. what opposition is always about you need opposition in order to understand one thing you need its opposite you know and it's I think only a thing with its opposite that's like, right yeah, yeah, yeah you can't actually have freedom without oppression kind of thing and i think the full moons each month are like opportunities to look at that in terms of astrology i was just because they of, always bring up the opposition well i was just thinking before of um the full moon and how you know i've always been encouraged to take the opportunity of the full moon is like the time for reflection mm. because things are illuminated. Yes. But what I love as like a visual is that, you know, if you go outside and stand in the full moon, mm. have a look down at your shadow. Yeah. It's so dark. Yeah. It's like so vivid and it's so dark. It's like darker <laughs> than dark, your full moon shadow, yeah. which is like super useful in that like, the full moon sheds light on everything, yes. including your shadow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what lightness does is it creates shadow, you know. So you've got to come to terms with what that means for you as a, an individual person, as do I, as do we. I mean, it, it is always an opportunity. It is exciting to delve into that undiscovered part of psyche and you know one door after another opens we are vast inside we are so complex we are such incredible creatures and there's so much to discover inwardly and the more and more we do that the more we come into our own power 
And yeah, that is one of the gifts of Scorpio is its lack of trepidation around that. It's willing to face, you know, the dark, the taboos, the shadow. Mm. And yeah, death is a thing, you know, the fear of death that exists in our culture and society. Um, and, and I think that was a thing of COVID times, you know, like it, it was in our faces that we had this fear of death as well as like fear of no toilet paper, which I think Freud would have laughed about <laughs> with the whole anal fixation thing. But um, we had our priorities straight. It's but- interesting. That just reminds me of, and I don't have a reference here, but uh, that Nina Power interview mm. mm-hmm. that we both really enjoyed mm. and she, her saying that, you know, the, the response to COVID was so fearful yes. and it was like this trying to, control death yes like that because we don't have a relationship to death Mm. only this like avoidance of yeah well that's it and that's what we do we try to ignore it we don't talk about it and then there's like a simultaneous like hysteria and obsession with counting covid deaths (laughs) so it's really Mm. that an antiadromia thing again that we saw through that it was it was really interesting to see and yeah i think it's to me, it was totally inevitable and necessary because from the astrological point of view, it was Saturn conjunct Pluto. It could have been no other way given mm. the state of the collective consciousness. We don't know how to deal with death. We don't know how to deal with fear. Mm. So that's how we dealt with it. <laughs> with hysteria <laughs> and control. And, yeah. And how much have we learned through that though? For the, I mean, that was to me, and I say it too often, the making of me. And, yeah, you know, for a lot, a lot of, of people. people. And it's so good now to see, you know, we were talking just before we started recording, like as an example, we're having a look on Facebook and you get like Channel 7 posting that, you know, there's still this like 40 deaths a day or something from COVID mm. and there's like concern over that. Mm. And then there was thousands of responses of mm. people saying like, shut the heck up. Yeah. Like we're, you failed. Yeah. You in, you created that problem. Yeah. We all know. It was like this very shared sentiment of mm. like, you know, it was, we all agree it was dealt with very poorly. Yeah. And like, <laughs> Go home now. And so that's actually like really positive thing that has come out. Like that absolutely. we, a lot of people have seen through media lies. Yeah. And that we, we can't trust those institutions now. So, And I think as well, you know, like that seemed to correlate as it would. Um, with Saturn's distance from Pluto gradually and so Saturn's now outside of the orb of Pluto um, even giving quite a wide orb so yeah I mean that's sort of what you would expect to see in the world is that kind of the fear doesn't have the same hold but at the same time I think we want to not forget about the mass formation that seems to persist well yeah I think it does persist and it was sort of um, enacted in terms of if there is sort of an an orchestration going on and like an instigator in the form of like, you know, governments or Bill Gates or whoever sort of orchestrated that potentially, what people call the pandemic or whatever. Um, but no matter if that was a thing or not, conditions were precisely right to sort of bring that mass formation to its head 
to provide this mm. like point of focus for all the free floating anxiety and lack of meaning that we were all experiencing in mm. our lives to some extent pre-COVID. We were sitting ducks. We were so ripe for that kind of thing to happen as it did. It just, and yeah, then, it reminds me of that Hannah Rent yeah. like idea. Yeah. That we were all so disconnected, yeah. disenfranchised, yeah. had no like political power or yes. sense of community. This void yeah. that was just waiting to be filled by. That's right. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I think his, Des, uh, Matthias Desmet's um, work is largely based on Hannah Arendt's work. To oh, a, yeah. To a large extent, I think. Awesome. Well, because I, I think, think I've heard him quote her. Yes, I'm yeah. sure. He, I, I'm pretty sure he he quoted her as saying that um, it's dull technocrats and bureaucrats that will be the problem. <laughs> um, that's not a direct quote. That was me completely mucking it up. But he certainly did call them, and she certainly called them dull technocrats, yeah. which is quite remarkable for the time. You know, she thought she knew what she was talking about then. She, Till she, I mean, look at Bill Gates. He's like the epitome of that kind of thing, isn't he? I've got a quote from The Origins of Totalitarianism. Oh, cool. Actually, while we're on the topic of Hannah Arendt. Yes. Before mass leaders seize the power to fit reality to their lies, their propaganda is marked by its extreme contempt for facts as such. For in their opinion, fact depends entirely on the power of a man who can fabricate it. So that's, my mind just thinks about this pandemic treaty yeah. and that like, I mean, it's based on lies and they're going to c- construct a reality. They're mm. going to fabricate a reality mm. to fit the lies. Yeah. And yeah, it seems that most people may go willingly with that and that's frightening, but. Um, Reminds me again. I mean, it just links me to Alexander Solzhenitsyn mm. and his you know, his advice to stop participating in the lie, mm. like not to give it power. Yes. Which is Take such, off your mask. Yeah. Like, and I think that's so important that we do that to the best of our abilities. And, um, and again, we may – that bureaucratic distance um, is, is difficult to contend with um, as we try to do – to do the right thing, what we feel to be the right thing as part of the resistance. Because um, as you mentioned, I think it was off air about, you know, all those camps, empty camps that have been built waiting for some unknown time when another pandemic will hit. Probably the right time to mention that. Yeah. So, you know, in light of the treaty... Um, well, yeah, that's just so. When I was listening, when I came across that mm, Neil Oliver, yep, yep, that we just played before, the kind of what came into my mind is, um, is what I wrote down. The invention of such a mechanism would suggest there is more pandemics coming, mm-hmm. right? So if they if they are setting up infrastructure to deal with pandemics, like, okay, so there's more pandemics coming then. Yes. How do you know that? Well, as well, we can use other evidence such as. You know, the Victorian government, for example, investing hundreds of millions of dollars in vaccine manufacturing, mm-hmm. like plants. That's happening in Western Australia too, I believe, right. that they're investing in, yeah. And, I mean, our government absolutely building this, you know, state-of-the-art quarantine yeah. facility in, like, <laughs> outer northern Perth. Yeah. And that's that's costing a lot of taxpayers' money. Yeah. And it's like, 
why do we need that? Mm. You know, if you ask right now, like, oh, COVID's, we've dealt with it. Like, we've moved on. We're not even... Too little, like, too late, guys. Yeah. But then but it's, it's like... like <laughs> clearly, they're yeah, it's not... it's <laughs> due for completion in 2024. <laughs> like, just in time for the signing of the pandemic treaty. And it, they seem to be widespread, those kinds of facilities. Yeah, Howard Queensland Springs are doing... as yeah. well in Northern Territory and, yeah... I think, you know, I try, as I said, like trying not to be too cynical, but when I'm I'm always looking at it from the point of view of um, the Aquarian eye on, you know, that we're entering. The tinfoil hat wearing Aquarian. <laughs> I suppose. Are you looking at me? I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. But no, the fundamental question for this new age is, and Jung knew this, what is it to be human, right? So I can't reconcile this agenda, this World Economic Forum's Vision 2030 agenda and the UN's, quote, decade of action um, with anything truly human or mm. humanitarian. It, to just listen to the things that these people are saying there's nothing really humanitarian about it, despite the warm, fuzzy language and the spinning by, you know, predominantly leftist pollies and, mm. um, yeah, that kind of the idea that we can get to zero p- poverty and 800% renewables. Hmm. Hey, we're at an hour 20. Okay. It's. We've gone on. Okay. Time to... I've got one quote. It's short. Okay. I was just going to say we could probably like keep recording, but we'll just end it here for our poor suffering Spotify (laughs) (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Let's hope they don't feel like that. I guess they can turn off, can't they? Um, Anyway, no need to now because we're at the end. So, George Bernard Shaw said... Democracy is a device that ensures we shall be governed no better than we deserve. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love those highly, like, critical conservative commentators like Bertrand Russell. Mm -hmm. You know, that they don't, they're like, you get what you deserve. (laughs) There's one from Bertrand Russell that I like, um, if I can remember off the top of my head. Most people would sooner die than think. Indeed, most do. Oh, <laughs> sad, isn't it? Jung said something similar, like thinking is hard. That's why most people judge. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty more to say, but stay tuned for next week's Edition. Oh, that'll be post-election. Oh, yeah, well, that'll be interesting. Well, a lot hey. to say, no doubt. Yep. Sun will go into Gemini and... And you... we might keep talking over on the Patreon. So, if you want more content, feel free. Go over there and it's currently inactive, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably by the time this goes to air, it'll be back. Yay. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, everyone.